Welcome to the X Oil Field Resource Podcast with Reed Styles. I formerly worked as a reservoir engineer for ConocoPhillips. In 2017, I transitioned my career to a financial technology startup and then on to an investment company. I'm fascinated by people that took their experience in the oil and gas industry and successfully applied their specialties to other careers and industries. I'm interviewing ex-oil field professionals with the intention of sharing their powerful stories that will inspire others to explore new careers. Today, I'm speaking with Matt Francis. He was a geologist with ConocoPhillips and is now working as a data scientist with Tesella, a data science consulting firm. So from my conversation with Matt, you should walk away from this podcast with a broad understanding of the data science career. You should know what a data scientist does, what software tools they heavily use, how easily petrotechnical experts can transition to data science roles, how to become qualified to be a data scientist, what to expect during the data science interview process, And also we get a little technical in the middle when we talk about examples of data science work. So hang in there because there's tons of value. I learned so much from this podcast. And before we get started, make sure to hit that subscribe button to the podcast in iTunes and Spotify. If you or someone you know would be a great guest for the show, please email me, read at xoilfield.com. And if you have any questions for Matt specifically, his information is in the description of the show. So let's get started. Matt, I'd like to set the stage for our listeners with a little bit about you. Um, where do you call home? Hey, Reed, thanks for having me. It's uh, great to be here, and I'm happy to uh, share my experience with you. So I'm uh, originally from Wisconsin, grew up there, went to University of Wisconsin, got a bachelor's in geology, moved over to Virginia Tech for a uh, master's in geology, and then moved down to Houston, where I've been since 2012. Okay, Matt, so you came from Wisconsin, so you're from Wisconsin, and now you're in the Texas oil patch. So if you could take me back to your college days before you were in the oil field, like what were your aspirations as you were in college and as you were graduating? So in in college, at least undergrad, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, I was just attracted to geology. I thought that I was a cool, a cool major. I really enjoyed the classes, but I really had no idea what I was going to do with it. I, I remember Google searching, what jobs can a geologist do? And it was like academia, mining, or oil and gas. And then there's like environmental um, remediation work as well. So it's like, okay, so I'll do, I'll do either uh, some sort of resource extraction or academia. But first I need to go get a master's because it's just what you have to do as a geologist if you don't want to go to environmental remediation. So I moved uh, moved to Virginia Tech, got a master's, and ended up getting uh, an internship and a, and a full-time job offer at ConocoPhillips, which uh, brought me to Houston in, in 2012. Yeah, that was uh, that's actually when I started, too, at ConocoPhillips in Houston at the same time. I'm surprised we never crossed paths. but So you're starting out in 2012. At that time, we were just getting going on the unconventional plays. So when you were at ConocoPhillips, generally speaking, like what kind of plays did you work? What kind of work did you do? Yeah, so a majority of my time was actually working exploration projects. I spent a couple of years doing Deepwater Gulf of Mexico exploration and then shifted over into some global new ventures exploration that was focused on uh, South America and then eventually got into some of our unconventional development in, in the Niagara Air Play in, uh, in the Denver Basin. So at the time when I was at ConocoPhillips also, I remember that many of those were high profile plays and definitely someone that was doing well in their career got those opportunities. Um, as you reflect back, what were some things that made you successful in your job as a geologist? Like what were some skills or some 
personal traits that you thought made you successful? In those high profile and very expensive uh, exploration projects, it comes down to communication and being able to effectively sell your point of view as a, as a technical professional. Your word has to compete with lots of other elder statesmen in the company, in the industry for bandwidth there. And you and you really have to sell yourself and your ideas as something that's that should be taken seriously and, and be valuable to the company. A lot of the success I had in those positions was trying to get these multidisciplinary groups aligned to not only my, my point of view, but our groups, our teams, the other geoscientists' point of view for whatever prospect that we were looking at, drilling or targeting. That makes perfect sense. I mean, especially ConocoPhillips, a big company, those big expensive projects, they often had PhDs and other people there, you know, sometimes 30-year vets. You're working as an exploration geologist. What was it like that moment when you left the company and what was going on in the industry? Can you kind of take us to that moment when you left the oil field? I was laid off in late 2018. We'd, we'd just come out of two major rounds of layoffs in before then. Um, I think another smaller one as well. Oil was at $70. I was you know, feeling relatively good about where I was sitting, but the call came in on, on a Monday morning after kind of two weeks of slow buildup with news trickling in that there's gonna be a layoff. Ice running down your veins because you know exactly what that phone call means. You know, it's it's not a it's not a good feeling to uh, to lose your job that way. You've got to you know move on and and realize that the job doesn't define you. You define you. So you go home to your family and you say this happened, and you've got to put a plan together to move on as quickly and as effectively as possible. Wow. Yeah, it's just bringing me back to that time in 2016 when I went through that, and wow, it's just you know seeing the other people that were impacted on the same day when I left and all of that. I mean, it's. It's traumatizing and it definitely sticks with you. Thanks for being so candid about that. I know. So you're laid off, you're a geologist, and you're thinking, man, I got to go back into probably the oil field, right? What kind of can you walk us through what was the thought process of do I go back into the oil patch or what kind of motivated you to take a different approach? I think I applied to my first job, you know, that afternoon after being laid off. I, I kind of had it in, in my back pocket for a little bit of time. Um, so I, I quickly dusted off my resume and, and submitted my application for it. Then I spent the next couple of weeks going through uh, basically every every job that was posted f- for the U.S. geologist position and kind of rank ordered them and started applying from the top down of, of my list. After like a week and a half of doing that basically full time, you know, I was pretty burned out. Also had our second child in that time as well in between the layoff and actually three days after I was laid off. Got that uh, that extra stress in, in my life. So I was dealing with a new child, trying to find a, a new job. I was not looking to shift careers. I just wanted to get back to work and get some uh, some healthcare as, as quickly as possible. It wasn't for another month or two that it started dawning on me that, that I need to use my time more effectively to increase my skill set and not just focus on trying to find a job that this was going to be a longer haul than I had anticipated. My job I currently have, it was a slow search of about two years. I can definitely relate to that. You know, you're looking at geoscience jobs. You've already gone through a master's program. You were at a highly technical position before. What sparked your interest in data science and kind of what was that first step you made towards getting a data science certificate or education? Data science had 
kind of piqued my interest a couple of years before um, just seeing some of the projects that we had done at ConocoPhillips and, and seeing what our internal data science teams were doing to help other teams. I wasn't necessarily exposed to it directly, but I had definitely seen some of the work and was intrigued by it. Um, so that kind of percolated back into my mind during my layoff ruminations. And uh, eventually my wife prodded me and was like, you should study data science. You should become a data scientist. And initially I was like, no, 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 no. That I'm a geologist. That I can't change careers. This this is who I am. And after a couple of days of, of prodding me, um, she eventually just convinced me to, to start learning how to code in, in Python. Quickly took a couple of online intro to Python classes and got that done. And then and then she kept prodding me. Are you going to learn data science by yourself? I think you should do a, do a boot camp. And so I was like Googling what what's a what's a data science boot camp and end up uh, actually enrolling in one not too long after. So um, a data science boot camp is just uh, kind of a structured set of curriculum to take you through a broad overview of, of the data science field, data science techniques, machine learning algorithms in a pretty comprehensive way. I enrolled in this online bootcamp and started plugging away at it at that essentially full time. I, I think I was working four and a half days a week full time doing that. And then the other half day I was submitting my job applications for that week. I also put in a one or two weekend days a week into into my data science studies. So I was going full bore on, on learning data science going through this data science bootcamp as quickly as possible, A, because I wanted to get it done in case I did get another geoscience job, B, because you know the, the faster you skill up, the, the more skills that you are set to accumulate. Immediately, I'm taking away this nugget of information that I heard from our previous interview with Hudson Chen, is that you made finding a job your full-time job. I think that's so crucial. So you're going to school, but at the same time, you're also staying sharp and applying for jobs and working, you know, five to seven days a week on this task of getting a new job. So maybe you could just walk us through like what mentally was changing. I mean, you had, you were previously a geoscientist and now you're going to this different science. I was going full bore into the the data science studies just to take my mind off of the job hunt. I was I was getting worn out on looking through LinkedIn and Indeed and all the other job boards. I just couldn't do that for more than a couple hours a day. So by studying data science, by working through this data science boot camp, I was giving myself effectively a mental break. I mean, it's not a break. I was, I was still working my ass off, but it was a way to not focus on the things that I couldn't control. So I was I was working to skill myself up, learn these new things that I believed would add value in a, in a geoscientist position. But the more I worked through that, the more I studied, the more time I devoted to this boot camp, my thinking changed. It was like, okay, I'm, I'm a little bit further away from my geology job and those job duties, those responsibilities. You know what? Doing this sort of data science work is actually really fun and it's just a stimulating field and it's stimulating to think about problems in other industries trying to understand and frame those problems and solve those problems in a different manner. And that's that evolution happened pretty slowly um, over the course of, of a month or two. But eventually I was like, okay, you know what? I've, now I've got enough skills to label myself as a data scientist. Now I've got enough kind of technical cachet that I think I'm, I'm able to confidently apply to a data scientist position at a at an oil company something that's within the industry 
after another month or so of that, of that thinking, I was like, I don't need to rely solely on my geoscience background, on my oil and gas industry experience. I think that my technical skills are should now be applicable in any industry. That mindset switch opened up my job hunt to anywhere in the U.S. that my wife and I wanted to potentially go live. So previously, I was looking for jobs in effectively Houston, Midland, and Denver with no real luck. But my mindset switch opened up the entire U.S. to us as a potential landing spot, which is just so relieving to, to have that many more jobs available to you as an applicant, as it's somebody who's searching for a job. I started applying to all of our like highly desirable locations that we wanted to live, thinking about moving up back to the Midwest to go be closer to family, move to you know, one of the coast to, to get some mountain action, get out of the flatlands. Everything was open. Everything was fair game. And, and that was that was awesome. No, thanks for walking us through that, Matt. I mean, that's something that's so foreign to a lot of geologists and petroleum engineers, landmen, etc., is the idea that you don't have to live in, you know, Texas, Denver, or Oklahoma. That's really cool. I, I like that, um, the flexibility of the role. So I kind of see two, two paths that we need to take. So I think people are going to wonder, A, what is data science? And then, like, what does the job entail? And then, B, if I want to do this, what's the interview process like? And how is it similar or dissimilar to my oil field job? So maybe it's best if we just start on that. Like, as a data scientist, what are your roles and responsibilities? Like, what, what do you actually do in the role? I mean, you can boil it down to, I solve problems with data. Honestly, that's what so many people do. Data scientists just go about it, not in a different manner, but using different tools and thinking about incorporating different techniques to, to solve the, these common problems. Maybe you can give an example. Okay, so like a, a reservoir engineer wants to, has to history match a whole bunch of wells to get type curves in, in a, any particular area in, in a given field. Like the normal workflow would be to manually compile all those well well production profiles think about the fluid flow the physics rock properties pressure everything and use your technical know-how and intuition that you built up over a a large number of years to come up with quote unquote the type curve for that particular area and then you'd have to go do that in the other area that's slightly different it's got different rock properties it's got different fluid properties whatever and then you have to do that again six months down the line because you've got more wells on, you've got more production from the wells that you've seen. So you've got to see if those wells match the, the production uh, history that, that you've predicted. That's an intensely manual process. What data scientists look to do is to automate those processes. And there can be a number of different ways to do that. So A, just automating the data ingestion and processing to you know bring all of those wells in together into one dashboard or one visualization one spot that the reservoir engineer could ultimately then use their technical know-how one portion of a data scientist's toolkit might be to use machine learning to automate the the history matching of of all of those wells using machine learning algorithms to automatically match the best profile the best history match to those wells and then back out the fluid uh, properties rock properties whatever eurs everything from from that automated process the whole goal is to accelerate workflows and arrive at the same or better answers 
in a faster manner. That's effectively what, what data science is about is solving business problems with data. No, that's great. And it kind of put the pieces together for me being a reservoir engineer by background. A data scientist, while you know some of the stuff they create could replace a reservoir engineer's job, but more importantly, it's probably more of a compliment. You know, they're out there solving problems that the reservoir engineer is not generally trying to fix, like programming and worrying about where the data is coming from. But as we've seen a lot of reservoir engineers, that's kind of becoming more of their MO. And so I think that's a great kind of link that you've made and and pointed out is that, you know, if you are an engineer by background, you know, going into a data science field probably isn't a crazy stretch. I mean, you coming from a science background also wasn't a huge leap. I mean, you're used to dealing with a lot of technical data. Right. The petrotechnical education profile matches pretty well with, with that of like, what a data scientist should be. The piece that's missing is the coding, the programming, computer science aspect, but you can learn all of that. What I kind of think about is the data science soft skills in terms of problem formulation, problem scoping, the business intuition, and scientific thought process. That's all the same between petrotechnical, engineering, geoscience, whatever, um, and and data science. That, That thought process is identical across the schemes. It's just the, the methodology that each each uh, each branch goes about solving those those problems. That makes perfect sense. I'm already feeling more comfortable with just the term data science. Data science just always seemed like an abstract word, but it definitely makes more sense. I mean, obviously, it's a very general term. Quickly, before we go into that second piece, can you run through a few of the specific tools or resources that you use daily that someone looking to get into data science might want to learn before having the job or picking up beforehand? To be a data scientist, you you have to know how to program. It could be in essentially any programming language. Um, Mostly nowadays, data scientists program in, in a language called Python or R which is more of a statistical programming language. You've got to know how to interact with databases using programming language. So that's a a language called SQL. Those are the programming components. You need to have some statistical training, understanding, you know, basic statistics and data analysis, a lot of which petrotechnical people are really comfortable doing in things like Excel. All a data scientist does is do those things in Python or R. MATLAB maybe, and the the size of the data that a data scientist usually interprets is on a larger order magnitude than what a normal scientist would would look at. So those are the main, I guess, technical details. You you also want to learn some sort of data visualization package. There's a huge number of them, Spotfire, Tableau, Power BI, one of those, just be comfortable. Again, that's probably, you've probably already got that in your back pocket. And then in terms of like education profile that that hiring managers are looking for there is no real well-defined criteria education wise you could self-learn all of this material and not have a piece of paper to show for it um what people what hiring managers and, and hiring teams would look at in most cases actually is a collection of kind of personal data science projects that, that you've got posted publicly so a lot of data scientists will have what's a website github basically 
you just post all of your code, all of your analyses there publicly. It's kind of like LinkedIn, but for programmers. Um, and you, you, you showcase the work that you've done publicly and people can go and look at how you write code, the analyses that you've done, stuff that you've learned during your education path. And just by seeing somebody's GitHub page, you can usually feel if, if they're a quality potential hire or not. That makes perfect sense. It's not a big stretch for petrotechnical people, but there are some deliberate things that you should be learning. Let's dive into the hiring process. So obviously, folks that are listening to this podcast are very familiar with oil and gas style interviews where you'll talk to the hiring manager and they'll ask you how you would do this certain type of petrotechnical work. They'll ask you about the basins you've worked. They'll ask you about maybe some abstract question, problem solving questions. Can you compare that to the interview process for data science roles and kind of like what are the big check boxes that the hiring managers are trying to check off when they're talking with you? Yeah, so there's a huge range of potential hiring best practices. Your experience at something like Facebook or Google is going to be drastically different than like a, a mom and pop shop that, that's looking to, to hire a data scientist. It's going to revolve around your technical know-how in the realm of data science. What's your coding background? What your interests lie within that realm? One of the main points of interest is your knowledge of a general machine learning algorithms and techniques. So being able to talk confidently about any sort of machine learning algorithm. Um, again, this is something that you can pick up on a, either a self-directed path. You could learn in an online bootcamp or you could you know, go take a master's and, and, and learn it that way too. And, and the final piece is being able to talk at length and, and confidently about any project work that you've done within data science. And that does not necessarily mean professional experience in data science capacity. So it's okay if you don't have reservoir engineering related data science work from your time at Shell or ConocoPhillips or wherever. What that's really meant to do is talk about your personal projects that you've completed along the, the path of your education, your data science education, and just peek into the technical decisions that you made personally in those projects. Why did you make those decisions? How did you overcome some roadblocks? And what uh, what sort of work that you you found personally interesting enough to you know put together a, a project to showcase in kind of a quote unquote portfolio of, of projects to talk about? No, that's definitely interesting. You know, I think in oil and gas interviews, it's all about your word basically and explaining your resume really well and explaining your past experience. I think it's so cool that in data science, you could literally send over a project-based interview almost. It's like, hey, here's the projects I can do. Here's my actual work. So I think that's really great. And it sounds like it sounds like it's something that is hard to really fake it. You know, it's like, oh, I actually did this. I actually know how to do this. And, and so let me add one more thing to uh, to the interview process. Not every company will, but many companies will put together some sort of coding interview challenge or question set. It could be just like a one hour timed online, not exam, but you might be given a couple of different uh, programming challenges to, to solve in that hour. And the code that you write is then submitted to the company. And if it runs and it works as it's supposed to, then you kind of pass that test. Others might send you a set of data and ask for 
you to work on it for an hour or two and then share your results back with the company. And one last kind of flavor of, of that sort of coding test is kind of an on-site coding challenge where you're brought in for the in-person interview and part of that time frame is, is actually sitting down in a computer and, and doing a coding challenge sitting in their office. It's similar to an oil and gas interview in that, you know, you're talking about your experience, except that then they can either remotely back it up with real code or kind of challenge you to think outside the box. I think that's super cool. Yeah, it's also super nerve wracking, but... uh I can imagine. <laughs> Did you have to do one for your current role? Yeah, so actually the for my current role, it was an in-person uh, coding challenge and it was kind of an interesting setup. So they brought me in um, for a full day. I was I was set up at the computer and then I think notionally I was supposed to have like four hours to code throughout the day, but they interspersed it with one-on-one interviews, a technical presentation that I was supposed to give and lunch. So it was kind of broken up like a typical work day would be and just to see how, how much work and to what quality that, that I was able to deliver in a normal work day. So I thought that was a pretty fair assessment um, of, of my ability. And, and it was definitely an interesting approach that I, I, I haven't heard about from, from others. Wow, super innovative. It's so innovative even in their interview practice. I love it. Let's run through a quick exercise. Let's say you're laid off today and you're going to become a data scientist. You have the knowledge that you have today, but you're not qualified for the job. So what specifically, maybe step-by-step, you know, high level, what would you do to get this new job with, and become qualified within the next six to nine months? So on a, on a six to nine month time frame, you've basically got two choices. You can either do some self-directed learning um, through YouTube, uh, textbooks, um, online courses through like Coursera, Udemy, or EDX, um, and any number of different options uh, along those realms. Those are going to give you the most flexibility. They're going to be really cost effective they're going to be most should be free to maybe 50 70 dollars maybe a couple hundred dollars at, at most you should pay for something like that and you can work piecemeal and kind of build yourself a, a set curriculum that the self-directed learning uh, path should be kind of sought by people who've got a little bit of coding experience coding background um, they're comfortable working on a computer in a, in a coding uh, mindset coding framework um, just because it can be difficult to get over that initial learning curve um, and get going by yourself um, effectively if you don't have a good programming background or it's been a it's been a long time um, since you've touched uh, a coding language um, you might be better served through an online boot camp that's the route I did I had a little bit of coding background but it was way back in high school so it's effectively useless. But you know, I, I had the statistical knowledge from being a geoscientist. I had the interest and uh, desire to get through kind of a structured curriculum. So that's what a boot camp offers is kind of a structured curriculum. They set up everything in in a logical manner. A good boot camp will have a mentor assigned to you. So I was talking to my mentor one on one twice a week, and they also should pres- give you some career services to to help you job hunt after the completion of, of your boot camp after you graduate so boot camps usually take anywhere from three weeks to, to six months if you're coming from a complete novice background in terms of programming you probably need at least at least three to four months minimum to, to get up to kind of an employable standard but if, if you've got some coding history coding background you could potentially 
make that transition in in just a couple months. Wow, no, thanks for walking me through that. It kind of just puts a cherry on top to the whole process. Just before we wrap up, I greatly appreciate your time. The first is, are there any resources or places that you would send people that you think are really cool, um, either for data science or just learning in general? I know we've mentioned a lot of different things, but is there anything specifically a book or a resource that you want to recommend people? Everybody's got different different ambitions, different goals, different desires when they say that they want to learn data science. Some just want to get a general awareness to, to use in their current job, and some want to go full board, be, be a data scientist, and move to Silicon Valley. I guess I hesitate to spout a, a general resource there. Google is going to be your best friend if, for, for that. But if you're looking for some advice on you know how to get started and what the best path might be um, to get started, then um, certainly I, uh, shoot me a, a note on LinkedIn, and uh, I'd be happy to, to give my uh, my opinion. I don't think we talked about it, but maybe you could quickly tell us kind of what the name of your academy was. And uh, yeah, just if you have any other shout outs or resources like that. Yeah. So the online bootcamp I attended was through a company called Thinkful. They've got actually a, a number of different kind of learning tracks. So they've got data analysts, data scientists, software engineering, um, and web design as well. They offer a lot of different options in in terms of moving towards a tech-centered um, career, not just data science. I really enjoyed their data science program. Um, I really enjoyed the, the mentorship and the career services that, that they provide and definitely would not have been able to make the career transition I did um, without their help and not and definitely not as, as fast as, a, as I did it with them. How did you specifically find your job? You know, were there, was there one resource that was easier to use than others? For example, LinkedIn, um, Indeed, Monster, etc. Yeah, so I was primarily using LinkedIn and Indeed to, to find all of the, the jobs that I applied to. I believe I actually saw this job on LinkedIn, but applied through the company website. I just want to thank Matt Francis real fast. Thank you again for your time, and thank you for being so candid. I mean, I think the value of this is astronomical. I mean, in one hour, I've definitely gained more knowledge in data science than I ever had previously. Thank you, the listener, for joining me on the X Oilfield podcast. If you know someone that would be a great interview for the podcast, email me at read at xoilfield.com. We'd love to have them on and share their story. Was the podcast valuable to you? That's my question. Because if so, there are two free ways to support the show. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Spotify and consider rating the podcast five stars by writing a quick review. It will help out the show and help reach a wider audience and help people just like you potentially find a change in career. So thank you again, Matt, and I greatly appreciate it. We'll catch you next time. Yeah, thanks, Reed. It's been uh, been my pleasure.